Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 8, titled Flesh and Bone. To know the face of God is to know madness. I see the universe. I see the patterns. I see the foreshadowing that precedes every moment of every day. It's all there. I see it, and you don't. And I have a surprise for you. I have something to tell you about the future. Is that so? It is. But we have to see this through to the end. Well, there you have it. Boy. Matthew Anderson, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good. If, I, if I'm going to part the, uh, the veil, I'm going to break the fourth wall a little bit. It's been a while. It's been a yes. while since we've done this. It has been a while since we've done this. We have been busy building up a back catalog of bonus episodes for our Illuminati membership through our website, LibertyStreetGeek.net. So if uh, you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to our science fiction film podcast, you should consider that. And uh, if you like that and uh, you're interested in our membership, head over there and uh, the website will tell you all about it where we have uh, lots of bonus content out. And by the time this releases to the public, there'll be a lot of bonus content out because we're yeah. recording on, what, August 1, 2016. It probably That's isn't going to hit people till the end of autumn. Uh, so we'll have a lot of bonus content built up by then. So yeah, we had to we had to shift gears a little. We had to reprioritize uh, again, this will not affect the end user because you're still going to get these every week. But for Matthew and I, it's a little odd because we haven't watched Battlestar Galactica in about a month. And yeah. we're coming back to it. And uh, what an episode to come back on, Matthew. What an episode yes. because you finally got your wish, my brother. You got more Starbucks. Oh, it was all it was the Starbucks show. And this is this is the episode I needed to come back on because I have I let's see where I'm at right now in this past month since I've watched Battlestar up until now. I got five episodes deep into Stranger Things. I finished the Path. I've been all over the place on these other wow. shows, and you know I, I've had these endings in mind and, and seeing things conclude and getting into other stuff. And I'm like, okay, I gotta like I gotta come back. I gotta come back into the Battlestar universe. It's gotta sink its claws into me again and pull me back in. It's gotta pull me back in. And this episode did it, man. This was it. This is what I needed. It was good shit. It's perfect because you got your Starbucks and I got my Layoban. And this is the episode ah. I've wanted you to see for weeks. For oh, yeah. weeks. And just to remind people, Matthew is watching each episode one at a time. So the beauty of this podcast is, is that you can be a first-time watcher of this show because we will not spoil future episodes. First of all, Matthew can't spoil future episodes because he doesn't know anything about them. And nope. I will not because I do not want to ruin the entire podcast or Matthew's viewing experience by spoiling future episodes. So that's our little stupid gimmick. I've seen them all. <laughs> he hasn't. 
It offers am, uh, two different perspectives on things, and it's a lot of fun. And I am militantly avoiding spoilers. Like, I, like I've mentioned once before, I looked at a cast list just to try and remember what an actor's name was and accidentally got one minor plot spoiler, which we've already gotten past at this point. Yeah. But that especially, it was like, all right, well, fuck it. I cannot look at anything. I will not so much as look at a, a fucking Google Images page of a character no. from the show. Like, nothing. Nothing no. at all. Good stuff. Well, we are going to get into this episode in a few moments, uh, but just to give you a breakdown on how we're going to do this, we will open up with our initial impressions. Now, we will spoil the episode in question. This is not a spoiler-free review. This is a commentary on the actual episode that we will break down scene by scene. So here's what we'll do, Matt. We're going to go opening thoughts, initial impressions, We will then break into our trivia segment, which we'll talk a little bit about in a few minutes here. Then we will explicate our way through the scenes, and we will wrap with some final thoughts and potential prompting questions for me or uh, Matthew. Again, being careful not to spoil anything because I know what happens and he doesn't. So that's what we're going to do. Matthew, why don't you kick things off and give me your initial impressions of flesh and bone. Beautiful. All right. Mm, Flesh and bone. We're back in the Battlestar universe. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I remember talking a lot about how much I'd say the biggest things of this show overall that intrigue me are, for one, the characters. The characters are very well established, very well fleshed out, all very unique and interesting. <clears throat> and then outside of them, it's very much the kind of overall mythology of the Cylons. Like, I love the nebulous kind of mystery of the whole thing. And what are they even after? How are they going to go about it? What are they even capable of? We're not sure of any of these things. And it provides this kind of mysterious shape-shifting villain that is hard to pin down. It is super interesting and we can always expand on it and and they're capable of more than we thought. It's great. And this is an episode that I, it, it sated both of my desires to have a heavy focus on Starbuck and really start to dig around in Cylon mythos, which it still it poses way more questions than it answers, for sure. And it has a really unex- – the most unexpected thing about this episode for me was the whole fucking true detective Rustin Cole time is a flat circle and I know everything that's happening and it's going to happen. Like I was taking him very metaphorically in some of the early scenes and by the end I'm like – I think he actually means he knows what's going to happen, like has, knows time in some weird right. like Trafalgorian way. I'm like, do you literally know time? So left with a lot more questions, but the mystery of it, the way the direction it's unfolding is so totally fascinating to me. And the Starbuck character, I'm left wondering about her beliefs and her, her you know, how much – how much she really is a religious person. Ah, it's just great. Like it's, it's leaving me with questions in the things I'm most interested in. And I sure. can't wait to dig into them. Awesome. It's funny that our podcast is almost like a metaphor for the episode, right? Because I'm Leoban. I'm watching the truths you flow past are. you in the stream. I'm just watching you fumble and wonder if this mysterious podcaster on the other side, Dean knows the mysteries to the Battlestar Galactic universe, or is he simply lying? Is it treachery? Am I lying to you? Am I leading you on? What's going on, Matthew? Uh, (laughs) He mixes his truth with lies. (laughs) Yeah, half-baked philosophies. (laughs) Well, that's good stuff. I remember when I first sat down to watch Flesh and Bone, and that's what I'm going to go off of. Uh, My first memory of watching this episode was, this guy is awesome. I happen to think 
Callum Keith Rainey, I think is his name. Uh, Rennie, Callum Keith Rennie, I don't recall. It's something like that. And I apologize, I don't have it right at my fingertips. Uh, but he was excellent. I was immediately intrigued by him, by what he had to offer. I thought his acting was excellent. And he became a the focal point. He was the catalyst for all of the mysteries of everything. That's what I started to think to myself. Some of the stuff I distinctly recall wondering about when I first watched this episode was she prays to Artemis and Aphrodite, he says, about Starbuck. And I started to think, whoa, do we have some sort of weird alternate future that goes back to Greek times and there was this crazy science fiction was around in the Greek times and this is how the civilization got split up and that's why they have many gods and yeah. they're, that, you know, they're, they're, the way they are, uh, you know, Aphrodite and Artemis, and we've heard the names Apollo, and we, you know, it's, I started to go, what the fuck? And now I'm noticing, when I first watched this, Six and Doral and Laoban, they insist on a god, a solo single god. And yeah. then I started to think, whoa, and all the humans talk about multiple gods. And I started to think, is there a wacky Christian mythos here where... <gasps> Cylon the, Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Well, think about this. Do the humans represent the death of the... Old culture. Polytheists. Yeah. With their single one Jesus that eradicates or absorbs the many pantheons, the, the polytheistic old ways. And I, because what you're seeing is the Cylons appear to want to literally destroy the humans and they represent the one God. And I thought, is this a wacky religious metaphor? What is going to happen in this amazing story that is unfolding before my eyes? And I never thought that Battlestar Galactica and, and you and I, we first started watching this show when you first started watching it, listening to your early predictions on some of those episodes, those first four or five was awesome because Never once did religion really become a big part of it. And, and we thought Six was a crazy religious chick. And now, now we're <laughs> seeing that it's moving, it's, it's, it's weaving its her. way in. We have weird potential prophetic dreams from Roslyn. She saw the death of Laoban in the episode open as the episode ends. She, she has this look of horror, great actress, by the way, a look of horror on her face as Laoban gets sucked out of the airlock at the end. Oh, yeah. And, and it's that recognition, that sudden remembrance of, I had this dream. And that was great. All of these religious interwoven subplots and narratives add an interesting tone to this show that is a dark and gritty science fiction, military science fiction. Yeah. When now with this put in it, it makes it a lot more mysterious and interesting. And it's funny because I wouldn't have thought a religious subplot would have been something I had much interest in, but I really do because of the way it's written and woven into the fabric of the characters. Yeah. And it's such a unique thing for sci-fi like this. You know, there wasn't really any spirituality or even really talk of spirituality like this on something like Next Generation. You know, right. it was very much they it is sci-fi and it imagines itself as beyond religion. Whereas it seems like a very underlying motivating factor of all of this still in, in Battlestar. Yeah. Yeah. In Star Trek, it was more like your peripheral races, like your Klingons had K-less and, uh, but the humans, <laughs> specifically the United Federation of Planets, it never really gets into faith. It never really gets into God or anything <laughs> right. of the sort. 
<laughs> silly brown aliens. I mean, green aliens. Right, right. Fools. The, the other aliens uh, have their mythos, <laughs> but not the UFP so much. So, yeah, it was cool to see it in this. And, you know, now he says you're going to find Kobol. He talks about the lords of the Kobol. You're going to find Earth. A lot of stuff has been dropped on this episode. And as we work our way through it, I'm very excited to hear what you think, what some of your takeaways are, and uh, what they all mean. Yeah. So let's get to our trivia segment before we start breaking this thing down. What do you say? <sighs> Woof. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> let's march me, fucking death march me to the altar. Madame Le Guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> so here is how the trivia segment works if this is your first time turning up what we do is each week we do a trivia segment that teases the next episode and i ask matthew a series of questions typically true or false and we answer them on the following episode so for example on last week's episode which was six degrees of separation i asked matt some teaser questions about this week's episode which is flesh and bone and now that he's seen them the reason he's groaning is because he knows how well he did now that he's seen the flesh and bone and we're going to cover what was asked and what the answers were so the questions were as follows. One, against orders, Kara executes a Cylon prisoner that was taken into custody. The answer is, of course, false. Matt answered true. Oh, she wanted to. Damn it. Not at the end. I know. Two, the fleet goes into high alert after Boomer tests positive as a Cylon. Matthew answered true. It is, of course, false. You tricky fuck. She did test positive. Mm -hmm. But we all knew that, so. Kara is told by a Cylon that the fleet will find Earth after finding Kobol, and Kara believes the Cylon. Matt answered true, and it was true. Ring, ding, 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 ding. So good job, Matthew. I actually had a question about that one, because I, by the end of the episode, I was still a little unsure how much she believed that or not. But I guess so. I guess so. It's it's a little iffy. It is a little iffy, but we're going to go ahead and just say correct. You're going to throw me a fucking bone? Yeah. Well, that's just to cover up in case I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so four, Adama wants to destroy a captured Cylon, but Roslyn wants to interrogate it. Answer mm. true. Matthew says true. Oh, true. sweet redemption. That was a clear cut true. And finally, Roslyn dreams about someone before meeting them. Ugh. That was vague, but I had to be to, to not spoil it too much. Uh, the answer, of course, is true. Matthew I answered answer. You doubted her psychic powers. Doubted. Doubted her X-Man, X-Lady powers. No X-Lady powers in Matthew's universe. Fuck that. (laughs) He was not correct. So there you have it. We will, at the end of season one, we'll probably go over Matthew's actual score. We'll set it up like a percentage and we'll give him a letter grade at the end for his predictions. Since we probably have all these answers, we should have them on a computer somewhere on Google. It's going to be just like high school again. We'll be a very C minus student. (laughs) So at the end of this episode, before we bid you good people adieu, we will do a trivia segment for next week's episode. And uh, sometimes I don't even tell Matthew the name of the episode, but sometimes I do because it's fun to tease him. Mm. Uh, and next week's episode is called Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds like a very kinky Beatles song or something. Yeah. <laughs> so we will ask you questions about that at the end of this and, of course, answer them at the beginning of next week's episode with the intent to tease the episode a bit. So, Matthew. Yes, yes. Without further ado, we should probably get cracking. 
on this we bad Larry. Should. Let's oh, do it. We so, should. so, first of all, I love the previously on. It's all Cylon agent talk. Did you know <laughs> right? that? Previously on Battlestar Galactica, it's all Cylon treachery talk. <laughs> Got to remind us, they're yeah, still at it. You know it's coming. Oh, yeah. So we move right into Rosalind's dream. She's wearing a white gown. It's nighttime. She's in the forest. She's walking. There's a soft light on her that blurs her a little bit. And then she sees Leoben far off in the distance. He's trying to get her attention, and he's waving and pointing. And I believe he says, behind, behind. Yeah, he's warning her about the the incoming, what he says. He's actually saying Cylons, too. He says, behind, Cylon, Cylons. But they're people. They're men in, like, SWAT gear running through the forest. They're stampeding Marines. Leoben pulls her behind a tree to keep her safe. He nods to her, and then he looks up, and he gets pulled away into the depths of the forest by an unseen force, which, of course, we know by the end of this episode is him going out the airlock. And then, of course, she turns to the left, and he's standing there again next to her, and he says, Laura, and that's when she wakes up in a cold sweat. She's shaken up. She reads uh, her, what I believe is Kamala extract bottle. <laughs> Billy then wakes her up, says there's an urgent call from the Geminon Traveler that they found a Cylon on board. So, bang, we get right to it this week. Right to it. Ah, And, you know, I was sitting here wondering, I remember when I first watched this, my first go through, being like, okay, they have a Cylon on board this, I predicted that this was going to be a new Cylon model at first that right. we were going to see. I was like, all right, so this is obviously, you know, they've used up their uh, Doral. They've, we've used up their Leoben. They've even used up their Six. So they got to introduce somebody else. But nope, it seems like the Cylons right now are still okay with, yeah, we've used these models before. The only really the only people who've been exposed to them are upper command people. They can still walk through the general populace undetected they just look like people so it seems like they're gonna run with that for as long as they can they do but if you recall one of the things that's mentioned in this is that he was hiding out yes he was hiding so it's possible i believe the gemini traveler captain reveals that he caught him based on a picture that circulated they yeah they widely circulated the pictures of doral and him because those are the only two faces they had confirmed as Cylons. And I, I think it's still, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's still like an upper echelon secret that Six, the woman they thought was a real person, is a Cylon. They, I don't think they've really talked about or released that information. Right. They don't know for sure that they she was, sure. though. They don't, yeah. they don't know 100%, but there'd be no reason to not put her picture out there. Right. In Seriously. fact, I'm not sure why they haven't done that. Maybe they have. It's, it's possible. Dumbasses. No, yeah. yeah. But, but no, so he's one of the absolute confirmed. And I still think, you know, if he's able to find his way as a saboteur onto a large enough ship, you know, a ship with 6,000 people on it, just general civilians, you know, he could probably still finagle around and move around mostly undetected. If he avoided military checkpoints, if he avoided sure. interacting with officers, sure, he could, you know, because they're the ones who are going to have those bulletins up of uh, look out for these people. So in general, you're just another human face. You can get around. But um, but it sounds the way that this plays out. I, I, I my mission was sabotage and everything. It sounds like they knew he's going to get captured. Like this is still part of the overall Cylon mission. You think his capture was not accidental? I by, by the Cylons. Yeah, either not accidental or it truly doesn't matter to them that he's captured. Like it, it's just a, it's a non-issue. I, I got the same impression actually. I was like, there's no way he just got grabbed. Really, I mean, he <laughs> right. They rip him out of his hobo camp and throw him in front of <laughs> Starbuck. 
Nah, they knew it was going to happen. So, of course, the president immediately reports this to Adama. She tells oh, him yeah. that he was ID'd by the captain based on photos that were handed out. As we just said, she then tells him that it is Leoben Conroy. Uh, or as or, I like to call him, American Daniel Craig. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ch- she, or charmless James Bond. <laughs> she gets a flash of Leoben from her earlier dream, which I love. Yes, yeah, that she so it is on her mind. The officers on the Galactica respond with extreme caution, meaning the, the bridge officers there, the guys on, in, on uh, CIC. Isolate Lee orders, that ship. Isolate the ship. Lee immediately orders the combat air patrol to scramble to the Geminon Traveler. Uh, Adama says he's going to send a team to destroy it immediately. And that's Roslyn says, wait a second, I want information first. But Adama cautions her, doesn't he? He does, because he's one of the few people who has been one-on-one with Cylon agent and interacting with him. And he's base his argument is basically, we're not going to get any good information out of it. And all it's really going to do is implant more lies and disinformation and propaganda. That's going to fuck with us. Right. Which is fascinating. I love the idea that that the thing that makes Leoben so intriguing to me is the way Adama responds to him. Adama is a strong leader and a smart man. He's a good combat tactician. He's a he's a he's a really good officer. He's very good at his job, right? Yeah. Now, the fact that he responds with such you could even say anxiety or fear regarding Leoben. That's something. Mm, Treachery you- and double talk and half-baked philosophy. He warns. And I, and I do, I think you're right on that in that it, I don't think he's overly afraid, but I think it did have enough of an effect on him for him to think that other people might not be able to withstand this, that it might really get to them and shake them in a way that could be genuinely dangerous. It's always rough when it's easy to convince people of things when you seem to have answers that they're not sure how you have. Hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's part of it. That's cults. Right. <laughs> they have information or they seem to know something or have wisdom and you're vulnerable. And the whole fleet is in, in, in the, given the circumstances of the fleet, which is there's fear, there's rumors. Okay, listen, you guys were just attacked three weeks ago, which is confirmed when he in the next scene tells Starbuck, I wrote my after action report about three weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. So that means that it's only been about three, four weeks since the initial attack, I'm guessing, unless he wrote it late. Yeah, I, I would say maybe a little late, but it were, that's right about the correct time frame. So the human race has been reduced to about 50,000 people. Now we hear that Cylons look like people, and that's circulating throughout the fleet. Mm. Now we hear that Gaius Baltar, this genius on Earth, potentially has a Cylon detection device that he's been working on. Whoa, baby, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Are people going to be identified? Now there's been sabotage. Now there's been all these other things and tension has to be very high. You've been attacked. You were attacked every 33 minutes for a good chunk of time. People are exhausted. People are susceptible to the treacheries of somebody like Leoben. Oh yeah. It's the perfect breeding ground for dissent and disinformation. It's the perfect place where a spy or an agent provocateur could do what they need to do to create the dissent required to bring down the fleet if necessary. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. From the inside. And that's what is so great about the Leoben character. Maybe you're right. Maybe Adama isn't really afraid, but he understands the damage that a guy like Leoben can do based on his cleverness to date. Because he even refers to him as a 
quote, clever machine, which is a really weird way to talk about artificial intelligence. Right. It's not yeah. clever. And it's all, in, a, in a way, it's almost like a compliment coming from Adama as far sure. as his, his thoughts on Cylons. He's admitting, yeah, it's clever. It's smart. You know, it's not to be underestimated. Yes. So Adama gives Starbuck the mission and the warning. He shares his report. He calls, uh, he calls him a clever machine that mixes lies with truth and that he'll try to get into your head. So he's, he's personally warning Starbuck because of his own experience. Yeah. Then he says, oh, 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 and then she responds with saying, well, mom always said nothing was in there, which is great <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> right. And because of course, we his reaction to that is just a very, very small smile, which is probably the hardest he's laughed at anything in 20 years. Right. But the tragic irony here is, is that that might sound like a joke on the surface, but as re- is revealed later in the episode, Leoben seems to have some knowledge about Starbuck in her childhood with Absolutely. a mom that was abusive. Yeah. Yeesh. It all comes up. So anyway, Adama's very serious. Before this, before, you know, he goes to see her when she's working on the, the raider that they captured. And, a, and as that scene closes out, you know, he's very serious about it. Yeah. No, he's not kidding around. You know, like, he, like I'm saying, he dismisses that little joke of hers. And he's like, be careful. You can't. And he even says, he's like, it's going to give you things, truths that you're not going to, you're, you're not going to understand his goals until later. But you still need to make sure he can't accomplish those goals. Right. That put yourself in one. put yourself in Starbucks shoes for just a moment. You're down there, you're injured, you're working on this thing and Adama comes to you and yeah. he says, "I listen, I want you to interrogate this machine." And he has a very serious tone with you. Mm-hmm. He warns you that it's going to try to get into your head. Now, everything we know about Starbucks up to this point is is good luck. Good luck tweaking this chick out of her head. She's very <laughs> strong, very confident, yeah. has a great willpower that we've seen. So yeah, it was uh, it was cool to watch the serious tone there. And then after Adama leaves, we see Starbuck start to feel the shockwave of his intensity. You can yeah. see it on her face that she's nervous about this. She's not looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know about you, but I, I get the sense that Adama's choosing her not just because, I mean, it's an easy choice as far as the show goes. Oh, a main character picks another main character because we got to have, you know, we got to have our sure. essentials in here and we got to delve into them. Another chance for us to really get into Starbucks. But I like thinking that Adama picks her not just because of her, you know, how much he regards her, but in how he probably sees her as not the type of person who does interrogations, not a talker, not somebody who asks a lot of questions and gets is going to be lured into a lot of conversation. She is much more of a brute force style soldier. And I think he sure. thinks that's what's needed here is that don't fucking get caught up in his word games and his little mind puzzles, stomp him out. Like you go in there and crush him and get answers. I, I think, think that's what he, he all, wanted. I think so too. And I think he knows that she has the mind that is good at this stuff. The, she has, he might see something in her. I mean, interrogation is a serious fucking business. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't trust his son to do it. He doesn't trust anybody else to do it. He doesn't trust Ty to do it. I mean, it's he knows that she has a shrewdness to her in battle. He's seen it. You know, she's very clever. So he thinks, I believe, that she has the capability to knock it pulled off into the deep water, like you're saying. Exactly. And I think that that's funny because based on the reveal at the end, which is Adama is a Cylon and him saying this has all happened before, it'll all happen again. Do you, do you think that, well, we'll get to that at the end, 
But I think that that's pretty wild that, is it possible that Adama wanted these two to meet? Is that something that could be being cooked up? Or is that Leoben treachery? Do, there's a lot going on here. And that's what's so great about Leoben is, is that you don't really know. Yeah. You don't know what he's telling you is real and what he's telling you isn't. But it's fascinating when he reveals things to Starbuck about Starbuck, which at first seem innocuous, and then they get pretty fucking deep. <laughs> yes, painfully. So let's talk about Boomer after the opening credits here. My God, real fucking weird. Mommy dearest fucking humming against her her precious baby Cylon ship. Some sort of a Korean song, I guess she was just singing. I guess it was a bit ad-libbed. Oh, interesting. Like a Korean children's song. I guess they just said hum something, and that's what she came up with. But um, <laughs> she's singing. She's humming to the Raider, essentially. Yeah. And then into the chief, its face. Into its face. And caressing it. The chief shows up. Boomer asks if her tip helped. Uh, treat it more like an animal in a machine. Of course, the chief asks, says it does, and then asks, how did you come up with that? And she jokingly says, I'm a Cylon. <laughs> I'm a Cylon. Which, <laughs> the moment it happens, it's like stops your heart. You're like, <gasps> You're just out with it, or you realize it? Holy shit. But she's just being, I guess, cynical. Perhaps. What do you think she's being here? Because later we know she goes to get tested. Yeah. Does she know? I think she is truly deep in it. And his reaction towards her in previous episodes where their relationship is ending, essentially, you know, it was not that their relationship was ending, but the implication that she's not even a human being, that she could be a Cylon, that's what really hurt her. And so I think... This is just a, in a way, a kind of almost typical, even like relationship ending of like, well, maybe I am this awful thing you think I am. (laughs) And just kind of copping to it in a kind of mopey way, but still hurt and concerned about it. And I think she really does go to Gaius later to be like, I I want you to test me because I want it to be definitive. I want to not wonder at all. I want to be able to point to something and have no suspicion about me. I still think she genuinely believes she's a human being. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, the chief is not amused with this. And then she says, if I could prove I wasn't, would it make a difference between us? And there's really no answer there, which I guess is an answer. Yeah, exactly. Because she forgets. Like, that's a, it's a null question, really, because it's like, well, okay, so what? No, what, what if we were able to, Gaius comes down here right now, tests you and goes, oh, yep, no, she's human. It's great. That doesn't change anything. You guys still can't have this relationship. That, that wasn't what it was about. It was just, I think that's the aspect that hurt her the most. Right. Because he was very accusatory of that, especially once Osinus got sent up the river and uh, paid for, of course, the sins of the chief by hiding his lifestyle, as we've already discussed, that uh, it was something he cannot forgive himself with. And he's, he's sort of blaming her for that, which is too bad. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's, he is a little harsh on her. It's a little tough. Yeah, yeah. Probably the only way, you know, you know how it is. Sometimes you're harsh because you're trying to mask your own insecurity and in, in emotional. You know what I mean? That's people. When you're do trying to send, when you break up with your girlfriend, you're trying to get her to leave the house and go off into the woods and, and live her another life. God, get out of here. I always, I fucking hate you. Uh, <laughs> Just right. leave. Uh. So Starbuck boards the Geminon Traveler. She briefly speaks with the captain. Now, here's something I, I noticed. This guy has the four bars on his shoulders, which looks very much like traditional American Navy captain bars, which is where Star Trek Next Gen got their shit from. Like the four bars, the four little circles is like the four bars of a captain. So he's a captain, but, and I was trying to look this up and I didn't spend a lot of time looking, not much time at all, to be honest with you. I just did a little (laughs) bit before we were recording when I was thinking of it and watching it when that's 
he's a he's considered a captain, but it must be some sort of like merchant fleet thing because it's a civilian vessel. But oh, he is, true. you know what I mean. But he is yeah. wearing a cap. He's wearing Captain Bars on his shoulder, which yeah. would mean that you know he's kind of like Lee's rank, but he's not part of the colonial fleet because. The one thing I did look up is that the Geminon Traveler is technically speaking a civilian craft. So he must, he's got, maybe it's just like airline pilot. I was just going to say airline pilot. Yeah, they still have that uniform. Yeah, I guess. So anyway, uh, they discuss, they're they're standing outside the interrogation chamber and they discuss how it looks like a person, they meaning Kara and the captain. She notes it's sweating and he says, why go through so much trouble to imitate people? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what a good question, Captain. It's a great question. And I mean, and that set, that sends me off in a million directions, you know. And for one, I, I, the idea that, okay, if you were going to get this close, you wanted to have saboteurs. You're, you're, you are a robot species, and you want saboteurs to get inside the human civilization and live amongst them and, and be even sleeping with them and, and, you know, cavorting with them and eating with them. Well, they've got to be down to that level of detail, Human-like. I mean, they. If you're going to be so close to somebody, you're having sex with them. You better sweat and stink and have hair, and you know, you. It, it's got to all be there. They're essentially human, and that that left me with a whole bunch of questions as this episode went. I, I, I was even starting to wonder. I was like, are did they just figure out a way to clone human beings and transfer? human actual human consciousness among bodies is that something they're doing i don't know that feels a little far-fetched to me because then that how the hell do they have super strength when they are in their you know individual forms you know that that doesn't really make any sense they have to have some kind of scion engineering within them sure i don't know but it oh man it just it sends me so down so many paths i like it well they uh they carrot tells him listen i don't care i don't care why it doesn't find his sweating interesting (laughs) <laughs> and we go right to what I like to call interrogation round one. There are yeah. five rounds of this. So we cut back to this five times. Um, but we will just go in episode order versus doing the whole interrogation. Yeah. Just to break it up. So interrogation round one, she enters the lockup. He's got his head down. She says, are you sleeping? He says, praying. <laughs> They're all fucking religious. She then reminds him that the gods don't answer the prayers of the toasters. And he says, well, God answers everyone's prayers. He introduces himself, and she asks how many Cylons are in the fleet. He asks her name. She asks why was he aboard the ship. He wants to know who she is. She says, tell me your mission, and I'll think about it. My mission was to conduct sabotage. He answers right away. She asks what kind, and he says that she stinks. So <laughs> This totally, I don't know about you had a very silence of the lambs feel to it oh, at first absolutely where he you know she he's kind of still just needling her trying to figure her out and then all of a sudden he turns mean or like y'all i can smell the old cologne <laughs> like making fun of her like poor southern upbringing like, i was like oh we just made that that mean cop turn here the thing i like about it is he 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 bites the word out you can see the snarl on his face you stink yeah. yes you can tell he's there's this contempt that washes over his face for her. And that concerned me when I was right. watching this. I was like, man, I don't know. What if he just tries to like rip her head off right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got the power. But it continues from here. She says she's not here to play games, start talking or we are done. He really wants to know her name. She packs up her stuff, starts to leave. And he guesses that she is Starbuck. And then he starts to laugh. He is thrilled when he realizes he is right. 
He yeah. says cryptic shit like, I knew it. It all makes sense now. Now we can talk. I've seen it. I saw it. That was a line that stuck with me. Because that sounds like a such a literal... You know, it's easy to say, ah, oh, I knew it. I knew it was you. And you didn't know. You just had a guess. And that guess was now confirmed. The way he says it here was as if he was just not admitting yet that I fucking know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I've always seen it. And I've always known it was going to be this way. And I was just kind of messing with you for a minute. Wow. He then Oof. tells her that he planted a warhead on the ship that will detonate at 1830. She says, you're lying. And he Love says, her instincts. Yes. Love them. But she reminds her that she can't take the chance. Your masters will have to decide based on your military training. In other words, you have to take this to your masters, he says, which I love the way he uses the word masters. master. Right, yeah. So good. Not to your superior officer as your commander, your masters. And then oh, she, as she's walking away, says, well, maybe I didn't listen to my training. And uh, maybe you get pushed out in an airlock and I say that you never said a word. <laughs> and then he calls her a liar. So they both call bullshit on each other, which I love. And then he says, we have a lot to talk about. So let's talk about this. Give me your overall impressions on this first grouping of interrogations, this dialogue between Starbuck and Leoben. Well, first off, he seems very much like himself. This is something we've kind of talked about in the past before of like, are, are all the Cylon agents of one consciousness or they actually like divided consciousness and they're kind of, they can be activated at times. I think that still may be in play, but here we have these, the very same Leoben that Adama was in contact with and fought with. I mean, this is Mm. the same guy, the same roundabout kind of philosophical bent at one end, but which he kind of drills into you at the other end. And he, he, he feels like a Cylon interrogator. That's what's so crazy about the scene mm-hmm. of that she's being sent to interrogate him and he feels like it's he's the one really there to interrogate and he's that she's almost just been fed to him. Awesome. He feels like an interrogator. What a great observation because he does get her to say a bunch of shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which is uh more than she ever should. Which for Starbucks that's saying something. That shows you how successfully manipulative this guy can be. And he does have a certain charisma to him, which is hard to deal with when, again, you guys are in a desperate situation. You think that there's a bomb on your ship. You think that he knows the answers. So you have already stacked the deck against you. Outside of physical harm, you don't have anything over him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the the craziest part, that she's got nothing to to wield over him. And as she brings up later on, you know, they already are, they understand the whole, the physiological aspect of the Cylons of that. You kill them, whoopty shit, their consciousness goes to another body. You haven't really killed anything. So it's like what, yeah, you can put the screws to them and beat them up, but it's like, what does that really mean? It doesn't, it's all just temporary in in the most like definitive way. Right. Now I got to ask you this, put yourself in Starbucks shoes. You meet this guy, you're charged with interrogating him. Mm-hmm. You now, as you're walking out, he is gleeful that he now knows your name. Yeah. And he says, I knew it. What does that make you feel? Oh, the, it, a terror at yes. wondering what they know. That's I, the scariest part of thinking what? about them. Knowing they know things that you're not even aware that they know. <laughs> about you, about everything. It's just like there's such there's such a gap there of 
I'm sure that they understand things about us that we have no idea they understand. That's so scary. Absolutely. What scares me about it, and I thought about this a lot this time watching it, and I didn't think about this when I first watched the show, but when you're watching a TV show, it's, it's... TV shows do a really good job of putting you in an emotional state of what they want you to see. A good TV show can do this. Yeah. But it's really impossible to give you the actual feelings that are going on without them showing you something because it's not really a book, right? Yeah. A book gives you that internal narrative. Those You're talking to yourself. You're POV in a book. You know, uh, you know a chapter dedicated to a character. You get a whole POV on that character. You get that a little bit in TV for sure. And you can get it a lot depending on what's going on. But I think something that's easier to forget is, is this. Despite the fact that you are a strong person, which Kara is, she's a strong woman. She is handy. She can take care of herself. She does not need other people's help defending herself. She's the best shot in and out of the cockpit. All this we understand. We know that she's tough. But when you realize that there's only 50,000 people left in the world, you know what some of these Cylon models look like and not what other ones look like, and they are interested in you. Ooh, true. You. That's a solid point. That is terrifying. It is. Right? There was a, uh, what was I trying to say? There's, a, uh, there's an MMA fighter named Tim Kennedy. You've probably heard of him. He's a special ops guy, but he also fought in the UFC, and he has fought. And he's active duty as of the recording of this, which is, like I said, August 1st, 2016. Damn. And there's this thing where, like, ISIS apparently was credibly threatening his life, and the FBI went to his fucking house to warn him. And he tweeted, he's like, come get me, bitch. (laughs) He's got fucking guns and all kinds of shit. He's like, fucking come get me, dudes. And that that strength, that, that strength to say that, that makes sense. Now, the world's a really big place. ISIS is, you know, probably got some operatives in the U.S., but now shrink that down to 50,000 on ships that you can't get away from, that you might not see coming, that are willing to fucking blow themselves up to achieve goals, and right. they're interested in you personally. Personally. It's bizarre, man. That has to shrivel the testes a little. And that, And it's so weird. Another larger question about them is that I still, this episode (laughs) almost added nothing to the answer of why are the Cylons doing what they're doing? And especially in the sense of why are they going to these lengths to disguise people, to to make them even believe they themselves are human and and get them inside of the human beings? What is their aim in this? It's obviously not just to destroy and wipe out all human beings. They could do that with nuclear weapons fast. I mean, Mm. if they wanted to just physically annihilate all the human beings, this could have been done Day one, not a problem, especially if you've already got these fucking infiltrators everywhere. So that begs the question. They destroyed all of the colonies based on all the reports on the wireless chatter throughout the fleet, right? Oh, yeah, all of them. So why stop at the fleet? Exactly, exactly. And and to me— So let me ask you this. Do you think that— the fate of the of the fate of humanity rests entirely in the hands of the Cylons, and they have just refused to strangle the last breath out of them. In other words, do you think that the humans are not responsible for their survival at this point? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I would go that far. I okay. still I feel like it's more of an issue of the Cylons have their own purpose in their mind and in their minds only about why they are allowing the humans to continue to exist. They're still obviously attacking them and, and you know sabotaging them, but they're allowing them to exist at this point. And they are 
infiltrating, and there's, it, there's a morbid kind of curiosity here. It's something yep, that they want that to before. learn about the human beings. It's something they're trying to maybe even emulate, or maybe it's some human characteristic that they're going to need to save themselves that they haven't fully puzzled out yet, and they're having to keep a, a sample group around to fuck with and, and try to understand. To me, it's seeming more like that, like some grand, bizarre experiment of trying to keep them around, because otherwise, tactically, no fucking sense. It makes no sense. Like, okay, we have, that'd be like, you know, you're, you're, you have the final battalion of your enemy all back down into a, you know, the back of a canyon and they have nowhere to go. And then you start sending in spies. And it's like, well, wait, dude, you could just take them out with artillery. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, they're there. Like, they're just, you can just destroy them all. Like, they're just sitting there. So why would you do this really conniving, intensive, strange, high scheming shit? So they must have their own reason. They're not willing to to cop to yet. Mm, I like it. Back on the CIC, Adama is ordering Ty to sweep for radiological devices. Obviously, Starbuck just reported in. And this is one of the things I love about this episode. We, we cut right to this shit. We don't need to see her explaining it. It cuts right to him holding the, holding the, 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 um, the receiver in his hand and saying, boom, do this stuff. And then he tells D, tell all the ship captains, keep it quiet. Doesn't yeah. want people alarmed. Just a and precaution. He gets on the line and we see that it's kind of a three-way call. Rosalind, Starbuck, and Adama all talking. Starbuck seems concerned that he knew her name. And I like that because that's realistic. It's creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. Adama reminds her that, listen, he's been stowed away for weeks. He could have heard your name on the wireless. Mm-hmm. Million and, different ways. Overheard. Right. Which is a valid point. She's a, a very notable person. Point. Right. Yeah. So it's at this point where I'd probably relax if I was Starbuck. But don't worry. Because he's going to make it more creepy soon. <laughs> and that's when Rosalind says, what does he want? Yeah. Now, one of the things I might have asked him is, is that why are you, why did you attack us? I right? wonder, what do you think he would have said? I always wondered that. I don't know. Oh my God. I have no idea what he would say. That's like the least answerable thing about the Cylons at this point. Right. But that right. is what, you know, I thought about that too throughout this episode of like, I just want to be, I would have been asking, why, why are you attacking us? Why do you want to destroy us? Like, Why? Why? Like right. all my questions is in this hammering him as why, why, why are you, why are you doing this? What Obviously, is the they have a time frequency here with the with the warhead, so they can't spend too much time on that. But I thought it should have come up. I feel like mm-hmm. absolutely. Maybe she doesn't care. Maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe that's the simplicity of Starbuck. I don't care about the whys. I just care about saving the people and getting rid of your ass. Exactly. Which is this is why you know. At first, her being a kind of blunt instrument makes sense of like, hey, you're not going to let him into your head. You're just going to get in there and, you know, kick his teeth in and, and get the more, you know, practical answers. But it sound as the episode goes, it's like, shit, no, we need somebody who could have counterattacked him the same way he's attacking her. Like that, that kind of mind games fucking with you psychological warfare, which I think Starbuck is not capable of, not because she's not smart enough, but that is just not her way. Like she is not a beguiling, wily character or a human being in that way. Like she's just way more straightforward. She's more honest. I like it. I like it a lot. So it moves on to interrogation round two. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> round two. Round two. Uh, Leoban asks her about her faith. He brings up the Lords of Kobo. You pray to Artemis and Aphrodite. She asks him about the warhead. He ignores her. And presses. He tells her that he prays to the one God, not the many. To know the face of God is to know mad 
this. I see the universe. I see the patterns. I see the foreshadowing that precedes every moment of every day. It's all there. I see it and you don't. And I have a surprise for you. I have something to tell you about the future. But we have to see this through to the end. God so ominous. This guy is ominous as fuck. Uh, good God. Yeah. yeah. No, this is this is crazy. Like, <laughs> it's such a strange, ominous scene in this episode. I see the universe. I see the patterns, the foreshadowing that proceeds every moment. And see, now this, I'm still every- thinking, oh, okay, he's he's talking big. He's kind of talking a big talk about, like, essentially saying we are Cylons and we know more than you. <laughs> and that's that's what it was ringing to me at first. As the episode goes on, like I was saying at the top, that started to change. I started to be like, fuck, I think he literally means that he can see time mm, in a way that humans like. can't. Yeah, He can perceive things that she can't. Yeah, I see them and you don't. And he knows that she doesn't. He tells her as much. That's it. And I have a surprise for you. Well, Starbucks lunch arrives... <laughs> Which she disdainfully fucking takes two bites of. Says, this is worse than Galactica's. And I didn't think that was possible. And shoves it away. Awesome. It's <laughs> so good. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't really paying attention. He asks uh, her what the most basic article, excuse me. He asks her what the most basic article of faith is. In any faith. And he then answers for her by saying, we, this is not all that we are. In other words, there's something more. To us. Something beyond our bodies, our flesh. Beyond this temporal flesh. Mm-hmm. I know what that means, he tells her, and you don't. He's challenging her faith, which I think is a very odd angle to take with a character like Starbuck. No? Right? And especially since she never even, you know, and at the, the first thing he asks her in the scene in round two here is, so or do you have faith? You know, and she mm-hmm. never really answers it. She totally dodges it. And he's like, come on, it's not a trick question. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just, yeah, just want to know. I'm being treacherous as fuck. <laughs> I'm just being, it's not a trick question. I'm just going to Iago the fuck out of you here is all I'm doing. <laughs> um, uh, but, but yeah, no, and that, that's And what we know angle. she is. We've seen her pray. Yes, but she's not like, she's not like other characters in a religion. I mean, nobody, none of the military people are particularly flagrantly have religious. You seen, let me ask you this. Have you seen any of them outside of her? Like really pray? Well, that's a good point. I was just going to say, I haven't really seen anybody else, but the then named, again, I, I haven't seen it. I was going to say, I haven't seen anybody else pray, but there it is. I haven't seen really anybody mm. else. pray. Mm. So, so comparatively speaking against Lee, against, Bill Adama against Ty, against Chief Tyrrell, Boomer, yeah. Callie, yeah. Sosinus. I mean, we've Gaius. Well, that's he's got his own weird thing with six, but <laughs> that's kind of a separate thing. But I think it's the time the show has decided to show us some of the faith. We've seen it. We've we've heard the faith brought up in the in some of the speeches. The Lords of Cobol hear our prayer. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. We've and literally, still seen very her formal pray. assemblies. Everybody, you know, is is participating in a way that okay, we must all be religious here, mm. but mm. not in this personal way. Not in this whole we must have this personal faith in our own bodies being temporary, and we're a part of something larger. Like this very specific talk he's getting into with her, which he then goes on to say, "I know that I am more than this body and consciousness." A part of me swims in the stream, but in truth, I am standing on the shore. The current never takes me downstream. What the fuck is he saying here? Oh, well, this is... Let me say it again. A part of me swims in the stream. A part of me. But in truth, 
I am standing on the shore. The current never takes me downstream. Well, I mean, this is the essence of a, a fucking hive mind of like, I can be my consciousness. Let's just take it in the form of consciousness. I can have a divided consciousness among millions of things. Maybe, you know, if I'm the Borg of Star Trek, <laughs> I have what? 20 million, uh, maybe a billion uh, soldier bees out there, Borg clones and, and, and adopted people who are all part of my consciousness. But even if you killed all of them, there is still this core of I'm the, the consciousness itself that is spreading itself out among other things and can maybe separate pieces of itself off, but it is always still one undisturbed core that it can come back to. And I think that's what he's essentially saying, that I, there's a part of me, and I think here he's talking, it's interesting, he, there are times where he talks metaphorically, where, right. or where I think where I think he's he I think he's talking metaphorically, and there's other times where it sounds like he's talking metaphorically, and I think he's talking literally. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of the times where I think he is speaking metaphorically of like he's not even talking about himself; he's talking about Cylons, like the Cylon race in general. That they're always yes, they can disseminate themselves, but there's they are never they're never gone in that dissemination. There is always still something at the heart of it. Right. I like it. He he did refer to stream uh, the truths floating past her in the stream as well, and and I think that it's interesting that he brings it up later by saying I'm on the shore, meaning I can see and you cannot see. It's also I think it's a double edged thing where he's also just talking about uh, he is aware of his higher consciousness and the truths that exist in him as an individual, which is pretty wild. Yeah, for silence. Yeah. The current never takes me downstream. When it, so sh- it's implying that he can step outside of the action indeed, altogether. Indeed, it's 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 suggesting that he can remove himself from, I guess, the truths of time. Maybe is that what he's saying? He has. He, he he's saying I've seen things happen. I know everything that's going to happen. If stream is time, he can step outside of it and perceive it differently. Maybe he could be saying something like that. Yeah. Could be yeah. saying a lot. Oof. He's a treacherous son of a bitch. Speaking in fucking poems, they can mean anything. Right. She drinks the water and then gives him the food. He's starving. He says, starving. I haven't eaten in days. And she says, why bother with hunger? <laughs> right? Why bother? <laughs> Questions that must be entering everyone's mind. Surely yours. Why make them so perfect? How perfect do they need to be to fit in at this point? Based on well, what you've seen. Yeah. And see, again, that leads me still down the crazy path of like, they are they are on a mission that doesn't make logical sense. Not to us. Not in a military, you know, let's win a war kind of sense. Like, I get the feeling that they want to suffer. They, they want to do this. And and the thing is, you know, Kara really does hone in on this later. I think Indeed. she Indeed. she gets that of like, you guys have this whole religious angle, this whole I'm I'm suffering for my faith, I see the true faith, and that I think they are trying to become as human as they can be so that they can suffer in the way humans are in a, in a, I guess what they would see as like a legitimate way. Yeah, I like it. One thing to remember too is, is that up until this point in the show, the Galactica crew, Gaius notwithstanding, has no experience communicating with Cylons. Leoben is their only communication point at this thing, at this, at this juncture. true. Think about that. Because Doral didn't say much. He was a suicide bomber, and he denied his Cylon all nature the way until the end. all yeah. the way until they picked him up at the end. Yeah. Boomer is walking around confused, getting tested. She doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Six 
is we're going to get to her. We know a lot about six and more now. Oh, yeah. That stuff was very revealing, even though it was short. <laughs> True. But Leoben is the only person, the only, what am I trying to say? The only spokesperson for the Cylons at this point, <laughs> which has been pure treachery. Try the Cylon faith today. <laughs> and but he no. is really, he fucked, with, he fucked with Adama, and now he's doing it to Starbuck. And it's funny to think that their first dialogue contact, remember, no terms were delivered, no surrender terms. The humans tried to surrender. The Cylons weren't listening. There was no communication. This is the first. Weird. That's so true. Weird. God. Weird to think about. He says, uh, the best part of this is when she says, I wonder why you bothered with hunger. And he just says, part of being human. Yeah. That must piss her off. Right? And it's his spoken insistence. with. It's insistence. so matter of fact. Yes. And he does that a lot. She asks how it is. And he says, when you're starving, anything tastes good. She gives him the she gives the marine a nod. He bashes him in the head. She says, "Did that hurt?" He says, "Yes, it hurt." Uh, she says that machine shouldn't feel pain, shouldn't bleed, shouldn't sweat. He says, "Sweat." That's funny. That's good. What do you think he meant by that? That he I was think, surprised I that she noticed, or that? No, I think it was almost her laughing at the turn of phrase of like, "Oh, you mean it as in the like figurative sense of like, oh, we shouldn't be nervous." I where he used to say, oh, yeah, sweat, that's good. I am sweating. Like, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. It's almost like he's he's still, it's almost like there's always still coming to terms with how human these bodies that they're in actually are. Awesome. She suggests that a smart Cylon would turn off the pain right about now. He says that maybe he will turn it off and she won't know. The Marine strikes him again. She brings up his dilemma. And this is good stuff from her. This is, this is some points for Star because she's kind of getting manhandled at this point. Yeah. Philosophically speaking. She says, turn off the pain and you feel better, but that makes you a machine, not a person. Human beings can't turn off the pain. They have to suffer. They have to cry and scream and endure. She tells him that the only way he can avoid the pain is to tell her what she wants to know, just like any human would do. This is great mind fucking by her. It is. Because if he's trying to claim that we are this human, we are this thing, part of being human, like he boldly states a moment ago. She says, well, then you have a dilemma because let me tell you something, pal. To be a human is to suffer. To be a human is to experience all of the pain and joy of what it needs to be a human. Something we said on our Planet of the Apes podcast, which is the more complex the species, the more variables there are. Yeah, You're going to experience absolutely. more as a human than you are as, say, a dog. And that's <laughs> what's pretty awesome about this is she is using his own logic against him, which is the best move she's done in this chess match that they're having so far. Oh, yeah. And it's a challenge. It's a moral challenge. She's saying, okay, you Cylons think you are better than us. You think you are the perfected children of a flawed parent race, and you you have the moral high ground. You have the you know superior intelligence. You have all this. And now you're even saying that you are better than human beings at being human. And right. you're like, you have it in a, in a more pure sense. And she's just pointing out to him like, all right, if you think you're better than us, then you don't get to write. You know, it's, it's almost like, oh boy, this is the most, tra- you know, easily trodden out uh, symbolism ever. But still, do you have the whole Christ on the cross, you know, thing where how at uh-huh. any moment he could have called out for the angels to come down and save him. And a part of his, you know, him agreeing to suffer for humanity was that, he had to suffer. You can't end the suffering. You have to suffer through it 
And then that's that's what forgives the rest of humanity. And she's basically saying the same thing. You can't you give up. You are weaker than us, and you are kowtowing and saying, I can't handle what a real human can handle if you turn to your Cylon side and flip off your pain switch. She's right. saying you had to sit there and fucking endure that pain like any of us sweaty actual monkeys would and deal with it, or else you you are lesser than us. And that is one of the only real challenges she issues to him that I think really gets to him. He's actually considering it i think he considers it and i like your metaphor for jesus because is it possible that he's trying to convert these non-believers by way of enduring at their hands and making a point <laughs> yeah. stop Which, feeding my people to the lions believe in only one god <laughs> well hey i don't know i don't want to call Leoban a jesus metaphor but i like <laughs> i like that you brought that up yeah yeah well in your, okay. you know Very religious your, Right. And your point about your point about and you know what now the more I think about it, and we'll come back to this, but most of the dialogue between Cylon and human has been religious, six to Gaius yeah. and Leoban to her. Definitely. Now, I like your point though about her issuing that challenge. But I also like the point where we see Leoban going, Well, I'm gonna make you fucking harm me then. Yeah. I'm not gonna shut it off. I'm gonna make you the fucking monster. <laughs> I'm going to make you and we learn for nothing. There exactly. is no bomb. He could simply tell her this, but he doesn't want to. He wants to endure. He wants to make her do this to him. Maybe he's trying to show her what she is and what her nature is, especially when he brings up mom and the pain stuff later. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, there's some time either in this round or round one of their conversation where he says something to the extent of like, and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell you anything. Like basically tells you that after all this, you're not gonna get anything from me, and that's what does come to pass. Which adds a little more to his whole thing of I see all of time. And right I know, now he says it. Is it right here? Right, right in this here. moment. Yep. <sighs> right after she brings up the dilemma, Leoben mm-hmm. then says, "I knew this about you. You're everything I thought you'd be." That's fucked up to say. First of all, that is. Oh yeah. No, that is the harshest because you know in that moment this. This part right here where she got, you know, she's issuing this kind of challenge to him. This is probably the most confidence she's able to muster in this whole exchange so far. He's saying that you are not surprising me. You're not bringing up anything I couldn't have foreseen and overcome. You're not issuing a challenge that I haven't even, you know, that I haven't foreseen. This is all going in a way that I could have predicted and handled. Awesome. Yeah. And he he says, "And and it won't work. And I will tell you, I will not tell you anything. And what's crazy about that, too, it sounds so literal in the way of he's saying, she hasn't even said, and now I'm going to have my two goons, knuckles and fucking meat bags here, beat the shit out of you for the next eight hours, and that's going to be my plan. She didn't say that. Nope. She's just implying it, and he already says it in the sense of he knows exactly what she's going to do. Like, this thing you're going to do isn't going to work. I already know. There's also something sad about the fact that he says, you're everything I thought you'd be while he's beating him up. I mean, that says something about her character, doesn't it? In his eyes. I mean, the way he's putting that forward. Yeah. But then he continues by saying, oh, no, no. And then she says, well, maybe not. But then you're going to know I beat you, a human being, and you are no greater than we are. And what what she doesn't realize is, is that now he's trapped her. And he smiles and says, let the games begin. Because... He knows that you're wrong. I am not going to tell you anything because there's nothing to tell you. And you're going to fulfill everything I already knew about me by savagely fucking beating my beating me to down. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, pretty dark. <laughs> Very. 
So he's closing on Gaius at the lab. He's getting a nice massage from Six, and then Boomer enters his lab. <laughs> she says, look what the cat dragged in. Six says that. And, and uh, are you noticing how much more calm and intimate everything is between Gaius and Six here? You know, they're very, yes. if she comes up and starts rubbing his back and he just closes his eyes, mm, you know, there's not that much contentiousness going on here. And in right. this scene, it struck me especially how much when she says a line that she wants him to say, he just fucking says it. He just he's not, says it. He's not trying to ignore it. He's not trying to push it out. He's, he's speaking what she says. Yes, yes. She gets a little bit jealous, though, about Boomer because Gaius oh, yeah. can't help himself, right? <laughs> She's a fine woman. So Six is not amused when, uh, of course, Gaius says, you look wonderful. And it <laughs> continues. Boomer asks about the test. Gaius says he can't talk about it. Uh, and then he goes right into his, he tries to close her out early. He's like, could you settle a bet for me? Why do they call you Boomer? Boomer. And, of course, she just ignores him. She wants to be in the first batch. And then Gaius, at the behest of Six, asks, what's the rush? Oh, now, yeah. one of the reasons I think that Gaius, this was my take on it the first time I watched it, was Gaius, Six seems generally surprised that she wants to be tested. Yeah. Because she's yeah. saying, she doesn't look at Gaius and say, what's the rush? She looks at Boomer and says, what's the rush? Trying to figure her out. Mm-hmm. Mm. And because she knows that this Boomer is unaware that she's a Cylon. And she's unaware of the larger Cylon plot. And so they, who knows? You know, even the other Cylons can't, I guess, you know, predict the variables that are happening uh, in, the, you know, her personal life uh, where she believes she's a human being. And why, what might lead her to wanting to expose herself sooner or who knows? I like it. Um, we continue by uh, her her meaning, meaning Boomer. She brings up the life-saving card saying, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. And of course, Guy says, well, you're probably right. Six, <laughs> yep. admires, six admires her manipulation of Gaius. And um, he says, well, you can be my beta test subject. And uh, mm-hmm. we cut away from that. So he is going to test her. He agrees. That should go well. And back then, on Cylon. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say back to back to Caprica. Yeah, is this, on, a, this is our one and only look in again, right? It's quick, but it's revealing. Yeah, it is. Six and Doral discuss Sharon and her lateness. Doral notices that Six calls her Boomer now. calls calls her Sharon now. Boomer. I mean, yeah. Does that make sense? What I said. Let me say it again. So Doral notices that Six calls Boomer Sharon now. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Her. Her given human name. Six says she thinks she she thinks of her as one of them now, but Doral reminds her that she's still one of us. It's interesting. Doral is the most hardline of the Cylons we've seen yet about kind of sneering at humanity. The rest yes. of them have all, even even Leoben in a way, have this either curiosity or even a very low level of like sympathy for human beings. A curiosity that almost resembles sympathy, at least. And Doral's the one that's like, no, they're fucking animals. No, she's one of us. Like, right. he seems more hardline. So it does still, they are not, the Cylons are, themselves are not a hive mind, I still believe. That, I like just it. an all agreeing hive mind. I like it. So I like how Six says, as soon as Boomer gets back, Six, excuse me, she reports, uh, I had sex with Hilo. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a bland uh, way of summarizing your prom date there, Boomer. I had then, sex with them. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I just finally did it. There's so much pressure. I just got it over with. It was fast and it sucked. 
It's fast and awful. Hooray. Yay. Six asks if Hilo loves her. The, yeah. Mm. And I like her response of, well, he hasn't said it. Right? I think but so. I think so. Right. I think so. Ah, and she hasn't learned the lesson that earth men are liars. <laughs> Doesn't matter if he fucking says it. Nice. Come on, girl. Haven't you watched Mad Men yet? <laughs> so Doral orders her to stay in her current location. They're setting up a cabin with all the fixings. And then Six tells her that it shouldn't be hard to convince him to stay and start a life together. So fucking weird. Again, this is and what I'm not, talking about. And if not, rip his fucking head off without hesitation. Yeah. You goddamn space black widow. <laughs> you, you fucking space mantis queen. Jesus. Jesus, yeah. No, this, this is crazy because, again, okay, why wouldn't you just kill him? Like, you nuked the whole planet. Why wouldn't you kill this one last guy? Do you really? Why? Why? The only only fucking reason is for some kind of ongoing observation of him. Some they need a personal observation of this human being for some reason. Just to, mm. to watch him. They're, what are they gonna do? It's not even, oh okay, you got we're gonna you guys are gonna live together and then we're gonna attack this or or force you guys to move here. It's like no, yeah, yeah, just start your life together. Live live with him. Mm. Uh, okay, so we're just gonna watch him eat and fart and sleep? Like that's so I mean it's it has got to just be some broader curiosity about what humans do like it it's weird man because when you think about the pairings it's male female leoban and starbuck boomer and hilo six and gaius Mm -hmm. and they're all (laughs) there's a lot of sex being used obviously not in leoban's case but he's using religion and six is too sex and religion and now (laughs) boomer's fieriest mix indeed now boomer is using sex to try to convince Hilo to love her and to stay on the planet and make a fucking life or die. Or die. Boy, never has have the stakes ridden so high on one guy replying with, I love you too. (laughs) 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 Or else this robot woman you've been fucking is going to rip your head off. Yeah, while he's uh, clutching his recently made gash of a neck wound and dying on their fucking linoleum floor, <laughs> unable to breathe, quickly losing color in his face. She's just going to say, you should have sent me an edible arrangement. You should have sent one. You should have left a note. It's the thought, Hilo. It's the goddamn thought that counts. And you couldn't even be bothered to swim for the floor. She just starts kicking him in the ribs as he bleeds out on the floor. <laughs> Jetting more streams of blood out of his Jeez. neck wound. What a horrible end for Hilo. God, poor Hilo. <laughs> in this end that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> Boomer jogs away, and uh, she doesn't seem too happy, does she? No, she is definitely... Really reticent at the idea of, am I really just going to have to off him at the Mm. idea? I mean, she's not happy about that. Not happy at all. Did you catch any of the facial expressions of Six when Doral was talking to her? Ooh, do tell. I probably probably not as well or as with much uh, subtext as you. But there was a lot going on there. There was a lot of fear and doubt and wonder and emotion about the idea of the love between the two. And uh, I, I, that always sat with me. That always sat with me the way Doral was talking to her. And um, 
One of the other things I loved about the scene is how they shot it on them sitting on swing sets. There's yeah. just something really creepy about that. Oh, it is. It's Humanity's so, yeah. children literally sitting on <laughs> yeah, swing this, sets. This is and this it reminds me of like Terminator Two playground yeah, scene. Dude. This is like the Terminator sitting down to play on the like kicking off the skeletons of kids and swinging on the swing sets. Like, oh, you monsters! It's pretty dark. Uh-huh. So she has a bunch of memories of Hilo. Uh, a lot of emotional and mostly pleasant memories for the most part, but a lot of like strong memories, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. As she's running through the woods, we're supposed to believe, at least I took it as that's Boomer thinking about Hilo. Yeah. That is this Boomer in particular. Indeed. And I think that's important because you've been saying it right along. She's aware of what's going on. She's part of some mission. She knows what's going on, but how do you feel now about what do you what do you think she thinks of Hilo? Do you think that she has some emotion? Because originally you were like she's playing him, she's setting oh, yeah. him up. But now it looks like it, they're showing us something else. You know, and I can't remember what episode we got into this on one episode about how why for the Cylons why go with such a high stakes liability of okay we put a you know a sleeper cell in there even one who who knows they're a Cylon. If they're this, if they're this human, and they can actually fall in love, and they can actually have sex and and have all these emotions, who's to say they don't still get swayed or compromised in some mm-hmm. way? And that seems like what's exactly happening with her. Uh, either that, or it's a super in depth, almost like deep down programming being activated to where it's almost like a double double turn of like she's it's her convincing herself she's in love with him so she can actually be in love with him and live a life with him and almost I like it. convincing herself that she's turning away from the Cylons when even, even beyond that, she's really not. I don't know. I think that's a bit of a stretch because I do think she's feeling something uh, that is unexpected. She's doing her uh, method acting to go real deep into her spiral. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think it really is her feeling something for him and not knowing how to deal with it yet. Not expecting that she was going to actually feel anything. Well, she does get to him and say, we have to go now. Everything is different. Things have changed. She has some fear in her voice and they take off. Do you think she's leading him to this cabin or do you think she's leading him elsewhere? Mm, damn. Damn. That's a, uh, huh, there's your trivia question. You should fucking ask me. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, fuck, I don't really know. I, if I, if I just got to plunk my fucking chips down on the table and pick one, I'm going to say elsewhere, somewhere else. Okay, cool. Let's talk about interrogation round three. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, card girl. So Leoban is beat up pretty bad. Pretty damn solid. We've obviously missed some of the torture. Kara tells him that this is the point where a human would offer up false information. But then she says, but you're a machine. He says he's more than she could imagine. I am God. (laughs) And she laughs in his face. She laughs. She mocks the shit out of him. And then he says, we're all God. I see the love that binds all living things together. I know that God loved you more than all other living creatures. You repaid this divine love with sin, hate, and corruption and evil. So he created the Cylons. And she does not take this well at all. No. You slaughter my entire civilization. That is sin. That is evil. Well, he just started to win, didn't he? Uh-huh, got under her skin so bad. Boy, Leoban then says, uh, am I? I see the truths that flows pa- that float past you in the stream. Mm-hmm. 
She suggests they're going to indulge him in his love of streams, and the two guards exit the room. Then Leoben says, I could kill you before they return, you know. And she says, then why don't you? It's not the time. Oh, this was so good because I really did take it as, ooh, that might, this shit might happen later, though. We might, he might just go full Hulk. But nope, about three fucking seconds later, bam, it is time. And he reminds us of the real fucking Terminator strength they are capable of. Yeah, she smirks. He breaks the cuff, slips the table, pins her to the door so hard the guy can't push the door open. Yeah. Oh, and it takes three of those guys coming in and pulling him off. But the even then, door, yeah. I think he's fucking relenting. I think he's letting yep. them. Like you've said a million times, why not kill her? Yeah, it's and right there. Says, why, why hasn't Hilo been killed? Why wasn't Starbuck killed? Could Leoben have killed Adama? I mean, that would have really fucked up the fleet. Right. What is going on here? Are they toying? Are they trying to convince them? Leoben talked a lot about religion, a lot about metaphors, a lot about truths that he says he sees, about God, about how I am closer to God than you are, which she did not take well. So he he got to her strongly here. The physicality oh, yeah. was nothing compared to the emotional weight of of how he that that her her being threatened physically is less frightening to her, I think, because she knows I either win or die. That's her. She's a warrior. That's what she yeah. thinks, right? Yep. More so than this. She's case. more at peace with that. There you go. That's what I'm yeah. trying to fucking say. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he tells her, I have a surprise for you. The other Marines get in and pull him off of her. We do get a little break from this as we go over to Adama, going to the morgue to look at Leoben's corpse, which was a little weird. He radios Ty from the morgue and asks how the search is going. Ty says nothing so far. And he says, spread out the fleet to limit the damage. Taya says, of course, I, sir. Adama holds the phone in his hand, grips it very tight. You can hear oh, it. Yeah. And then he says yeah. no to Leoben's corpse. What do you suppose he's saying here? Oh, I think I, there's some suspicion in him where he thinks even these corpses, these fucking silence, maybe they're interconnected. Maybe, I thought that too. Maybe it can still hear me. And he's just... He wanted to have a moment to sit with it and just be like, fuck you. Like, I'm not, I'm not caving. We're going to still get out of this. At first, I thought he was trying to put disinformation into the Cylon network by revealing plans to the corpse, <laughs> almost like a, like a counterintelligence move. Yeah. But they actually yeah. do spread out the fleet, so I guess not. Yeah. He just wanted, he wanted a moment with the body. Let's get right back to this interrogation because it's really heating up here for uh, what's going to be the conclusion of this episode, these next two interrogation scenes. Round four! Ding, ding, ding! Now the waterboarding begins. She tells him that he will drown in this bucket unless he offers up the warhead. He says he can't die. But Starbucks starts to wonder why he would talk at all. Why not transfer away and just laugh at us in our stupid ideas? They dunk him in the water. She has a good point here, but this is something you and I have talked about, right? Yeah. Of what's the point? What Why, is the point? There's no tactical advantage to be gained. Mm. And that's what is taking Starbuck, Adama, all of them so long to realize. Like they're still been thinking in very human military terms. Indeed. And I think that is absolutely not what the Cylons are after. And it, they, until they figure that out, they're going to be chasing their tail like this. There is no, uh, there, humans would not run this mission, okay? They wouldn't run a mission to put a guy in, to, to, to off, to give up one of their agents to sow discontent like this without yeah. trying to gain something back. Right. And that's what's so awesome about Leoben's presence on the ship in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's so, 
that's what I, that's what I've talked so much about loving about this whole series is that the aliens, unlike in just about any other show, are convincingly non-human. Like you know, the the Klingons and the Vulcans and the Cardassians are very much just kooky, crazy looking humans in silly stuff with very human ideas about politics and territory and their how they deserve to have things or not. And of course, they have their own cultures and these traditions, but they're still very humanly relatable. And with, with the Cylons, I mean, I find them baffling. I mean, it, it's something that they behave in a way that we just absolutely never would. Like what you said, you know, that we would never dump one of our guys off. I mean, it's, it's such an American thing, especially of like, you don't, we don't leave our people behind. We will trade away our own prisoners to get, we'll trade 10 prisoners to get one of ours back. We have, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very important and absolutely sacred to us to get our people back. And Cylons like, yeah, no, this doesn't matter. I'm not afraid of dying. Fuck it. Yeah. And, and it's just, and it's not even, a thing to them it's not even like a it's not even like oh it's a momentous sacrifice nah it's nothing whatever well the transference of consciousness makes it makes them have a much different perspective on life exactly. the idea that they can wake up somewhere else as he's uh, alluded to <laughs> right so and we've seen six get killed and she's back so there is that part of it that makes it a little easier for them it's there's less of a finality based on what we're hearing and what we've seen with the six character at least and Leoben, he's died too and come back Oh yeah, so he already knows. And you know, I remembered in that that episode where Adama kills him. Adama makes the threat of, you know, we're deep down in this chemical, yes. you know, stuff. You know, maybe you can't. Maybe the signal you attach to that your consciousness gets sent out of. Maybe that signal's not strong enough here. Maybe this time you die for real. Maybe that's why you're scared. She basically makes the same threat here, which Straight is why point. it's like there's no real weight to him. He's like, I, yeah, you've you've guys have tried that before. What's so fascinating about that is how human that is. Threatening yeah. somebody with death. With permanent death. Right. Yeah. That, is the, that is the ultimate fear of humans. That's what we all fear. And I think it's funny that they're trying to tap into, they're trying to tap into this with this Leoben character two times now, and it's just a dead end. Because he's made it clear he is not afraid to die. Yeah. yeah. And that's what comes up here. She says, she says, you're afraid. You're a long way from home. What if when you die here, you really die? You can't transfer back if you had a chance to find out. Uh, if you are God, it's just a bunch of circuits with bad haircut, which is funny. He says, I'm not afraid. And she says, you're programmed with a fairy tale. Now, here's some stuff that I liked. She says, you're programmed with a fairy tale, but somewhere there's this beeping message that doesn't compute. I don't have a soul. I have software. This line is awesome because I think this is something that even the most zealot of people struggle with every day with their own religion, yeah. which is maybe this is bullshit and maybe this, is, this isn't real. That's the Absolutely. fear. That's where faith comes into things. That's where you have to believe to really appreciate the idea of something like faith. And the way she puts it forward to him is something that she can internally understand because I think most humans that have faith understand that this is a distinct possibility. Otherwise, there is no faith yeah. if you think it's a fact, right? Absolutely. And that somewhere beyond that, that software is a blinking hard drive. Mm. Once I go out, I'm gone. Yes. Uh, they dunk him some more really hard this time. He comes up struggling. I have a soul. I see patterns. I know you. You're damaged. You were born to a woman who believed that suffering was good for the soul. So you suffered. And he just starts to blow up her world. He continues by saying, life is a testament to pain, injuries, accidents, some inflicted on others, some inflicted on yourself. They surround you like a bubble, but they aren't real. Just something she put in your head. 
It's something you want to believe because it means that you're the problem, not the world you live in. You want to believe it because it means you're bad luck, like a cancer that needs to be removed because you hear her voice every day and you want her to be right. Jesus. Fucking A. How did this guy get in there? He's saying you're a self-destructive person whose mom beat you up, who beat beat her up, and you're self-destructive. And you want to be punished. And you want to feel this pain. Fucking brutal. You want to believe it because it means you're bad luck. You want to believe that about yourself. That's sad, first of all. It says a lot about Kara. It says a lot about what she thinks about herself, which is a very unhealthy thing, which is why she blames herself for so much. She's ready to throw her into the pitch of battle, herself into the pitch of battle. The drinking. Yeah, ready to fucking die. Who fucking cares? And, the way she um, pushes away people close to her, like Lee, you know? Yeah. And it also, it says a lot about her view of the world. And because the, I think it's this is a really big point of she believes these things about herself and that allows her to be fearless about her own death. But it also implies she's very afraid of the idea of a world where it's not her who's the problem, but it is just an unpredictable, chaotic frenzy of a world. She's Why do you think that? Terrified what, of that idea, right? Why do you suppose? Do you think that? Be, be, do you think that means because she's essentially? Do, do you think it's the kind of thing where? And you've heard, and I've heard this before with like uh, counselors and stuff, where they say stuff like somebody's identity is so wrapped up in that person who is quote unquote damaged that to eliminate that eliminates their entire identity. That so you do, have or, to be careful. You can't just pluck them out of that and make them better it has to be no. a gradual process otherwise you shatter their entire identity which which as odd as it sounds might hurt starbuck more yeah. than the damage that she wears because yeah it makes for a very it's still a hard thing on herself but at least makes for a manageable view of the world if you think well i'm the problem it's me i'm the fuck up eventually i'll die and there will be no more problems i'm it's just me i'm this abnormality this yes. problem Yes. Whereas if she, I, I think the the scarier, you know, that's not a scary idea for her. She's very used to being because she's so the, so the neural, yeah, like the that, neural yeah. pathways are like trenches. Right. They're they're fucking already there. <laughs> like that's what she believes about herself, and she's believed that probably for a long time. The I think the scarier idea for her would be to that now the world is actually the scary thing, and it's totally unpredictable. It's a frenzy. It's a you know, it's a chaos out there, and you're never going to know what's coming. Right, and that. That's the thing that Kara Thrace can't handle. And, and now you have to look in the mirror and you have to confront yourself to see who the real you is and you can't hide behind this bullshit anymore. Yep. Scary. Yep. That's hard. How, how did he know all that shit? And you know what's funny? Does he know it or, or is this treachery? I think he probably knows something based on her reaction. Oh, by and, on her reaction, he knows something. Oh, yeah. And we've only seen hints of her self-destructive behavior so far. Because oh, yeah. she's... We don't want to just straight up say she's completely self-destructive no. because then she's a detriment to the crew. She's still very valuable, but we've seen hints of this in her behavior, especially oh, yeah. as it relates to her guilt around Zach. In that, when you're guilty about something like the death of another human being, there can be a lot of uh, your identity tied up in this pain and guilt. And that's another thing Leoben's kind of sniffing out as it relates to just her past in general. I mean, before Zach, talking about her mom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Absolutely. She starts dunking him again, um, and this time we get a shot of him underwater just smiling because he knows he's done it. <laughs> Is he smiling under he there? He smirks for right before they cut away. Oh, God, I didn't even catch that. 
It's fucking true. Back at Gaius's lab. It's green, you're normal. Oh no, he, oh yeah, yeah, that's the scene, right? I like this. There's a lot of tension here. Uh, green, you're normal. Red, you're an evil Cylon, he tells her. He asks uh, where she's from. She says, Troy, a mining settlement, an accident, an explosion, a tragic accident where her family died. The computer beeps and six enters the frame. The test reads positive. Ooh, blinking red screen. Motherfucking this, Cylon. So this Something we already things. knew. Yeah. Well, we know his, we, we're pretty convinced on his Cylon detector now. Yeah, that it functions. Right. Who did they test last time? I can't remember. Did they test it already? Yeah, I don't oh, no, no. I think this is the first confirmed yeah, Cylon we've first. seen tested. Yeah, okay, cool. So Six says, I wonder what she'll do. And he starts <laughs> to put this fucking idea in his head. Yeah. And this is this struck me as very much as Six reverting back to the I'm protecting my Cylon interests of being uh-huh. like, maybe you don't expose her yet because, hey, she is, a, she is a Cylon with Terminator strength and she might just spring across the table and tear you in half. You yes. know, maybe this isn't the time or place. Right. I do like that manipulation a lot. I love, and that plays right into Gaius's greatest weakness, and that is his, his complete in inability. His complete inability to do anything that even slightly jeopardizes himself. Yeah, that's his. That's his. That's his. That's his, that's his mo. That's a good point. He he's he doesn't do heroism. He's a real guy. He's he does not a fucking military hero. <laughs> and if he no. thinks, especially with six in his ear, that does not help when you got the devil on your shoulder. Hell no, the sexy devil the sexy licking devil. your ear. Right. Now you're thinking, fuck, she could just spring over here, crack my neck, and burn down my lab, and that's the end of Guy's Baltar. Yeah. So he doesn't know what to do. You can see in in, in six mentions this that she says she probably doesn't know. And you and yeah. they show a close up of of Bummer literally with her teeth like chattering, afraid of the result. Oh yeah. Looking totally innocent, totally unaware. Congrats, you're not a Cylon. It's green. It's very bright green. Bright green. <laughs> He's like, it's so very good. bright green. <laughs> you're especially it. human. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Boomer ushers her away. She's happy. And then um, that's the end of that. So great development for the Gaius character. Again, more interesting things about Gaius. And that's his, because his mission doesn't run directly in line with that of the crew, <laughs> in, in fact, by keeping that from the crew, he's jeopardizing the crew, is what makes him so fucking interesting. Oh, absolutely. So, Rosalind has another dream of Leoba, and he simply says, I have something to tell you. Sneaking she up w- behind her like Jason Voorhees. Right. She wants to see the Cylon after this, and we go right to our final interrogation, and of course, the final scene of the episode, which is round five. We open on Leoba's head in the water. He's not doing well. He's coughing. He's coughing. He's soaked. She calls him sick, she being... Kara, a machine enjoying its own pain. He tells her that all of this has happened before and it will all happen again. Time's a flat circle. (laughs) Yeah, man. All right. So she gets pissed off. She says, do not quote scripture to me. So this means that something else we learn about Kara. She takes scripture enough to not want him to quote it. Right. She takes it seriously. But that also means she remembers it as well. She has enough of it in her brain. To say, don't quote it at me. He tells her that she can't see that her destiny was already written. The players change. The story remains the same. Your now, role, Carathrace, is to deliver my soul unto God. Oh, Do it for me. It's your destiny and mine. Damn. And then he offers her something, doesn't he? 
I told you, I had a surprise for you. You're going to find Kobo. Kobo will lead you to Earth. This is my gift to you. So here he is like this benefactor, like this holy man, giving <laughs> this information that is so important. Right. Oh, it's that everybody only half-assedly believes at this point. Because, I mean, wait, didn't we – what episode was it where – Adama was it Adama who was like there we know there's no earth I was just saying that to fucking <laughs> give him some hope yeah he says it pretty early because uh, Rosalind calls him out on it yeah and he's like, like yeah I know yeah. there's no fucking earth yeah but now <laughs> the Cylons themselves are saying nah there's an earth ooh pretty wild and you're gonna get there the president shows up and demands to know what is going on uh-huh. Well, Carol says, it's a machine. There's no limit to my tactics. And she says, well, what have you learned in the eight hours you've been torturing this thing? <laughs> Nothing. Just Car- like he said. Right. You beat on American Daniel Craig for hours and he <laughs> gave you nothing. The president wants to hear about what's going on. So Kara tells Rosalind about his claims in the future. She's like, clean, clean him up. You can tell she's pissed off about this. Yeah. Rosalind talks to him. And she apologizes for what he's been through. She plays the benevolent overlord, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Take off his restraints. It's okay. He it's thanks her. She says she can do more. I can order your release. We have only four minutes left. The conflict can be stopped between our people. She starts brokering peace. What do you think about this from Rosalind? <laughs> I do. You know, a lot of it does seem like posturing. And, like, I'm just trying to present ourselves as reasonable. I think she's trying to make up for a lot of ground. She's like, okay, look, I understand you were getting your ass fucking stomped and half drowned by a soldier for the past eight hours, and I'm going to try to dust you off and make you feel a little better about all this. Um, But I do, I like that she is taking this moment. I think it is a legitimate moment to seize upon of none of us, like you were saying, you brought up the great point, that they haven't spoken, had a conversation with the Cylons yet. And to her... Any Cylon, any living Cylon you can stand there and talk with is as best an ambassador as you're going to get to all of the Cylon civilization. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is our time. Hey, look, I'm the president. Can we bury the fucking hatchet? Is there a way? What can sure. we do? I don't blame her at all for jumping on this moment as at least – I'm sure. I can tell even in like her hesitancy, the way she says this. I like – you know this performance by her is fantastic because she's kind of slow about it and like – conflict between our people doesn't need to go on it's like very diplomatic it's diplomatic and it seems almost like it's it's at, she's trying to muster up the hope even as she's saying it like she knows this is a long shot and it's probably not going to work but you got to know you tried you've got to know because i mean for all they know maybe they never get a, this much of an in-person conversation chance with the silent ever again and it, what would somebody say if they're like you had the chance to talk to a Cylon who's connected to all of them and what did you say? What did you just, yeah. did you ask him anything? And you know, I, I think it's pretty noble for her as the president to be like, can we end this? Can we end this fucking war? Like what sure. do we need to do? And she's also trying to save fucking lives. Right. If there's a nuke, she needs to know now, yesterday. Right now. Yeah. Well, there is no warhead. Kara's fucking instincts were right. Wow. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, painful. What so, a smug fucking charmless James fucking Bond. fucking brilliant. Rosalind thanks him for the truth. Starbuck walks away kind of embarrassed here. Leoben asks Rosalind not to be hard on Kara. I love this. Oh. I love that he says this. Why? Right? Oh, it's so confusing <laughs> in the best way of like they, they really only somebody kind of like how he was saying who can step out 
of all of this and see it from above mm. can kind of have that like benevolent mindset of like, oh, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking Jesus over here. Right. And then uh, he, he quickly grabs Laura. She yells, stand down. I have something to tell you. Adama is a Cylon. Oh, man. This shit fucking blew my jaw off the first time I watched it. But the moment after it was said, I, mean, I was like, oh, my God. But then I was like, no fucking way. No way. We just revealed that you lied about the nuclear bomb. Right. We know you're a fucking sneaky snake in the grass. Mm. Uh, who? Who? And again, that's. The whole thing Adamo was warning about is that the most dangerous thing this person can do is not fucking plant a bomb somewhere or punch somebody or throw something heavy. It's that he can whisper the most dangerous idea straight into the ear of the fucking president. Right. That's crazy. And that's dangerous. And what does he say? Not that, oh, who cares a Cylon or, oh, what you have a Cylon aboard the Glatka. No. The commander, the, your right hand, the next highest person in all of what's left of humanity is one of us. It's a Cylon. Can't trust him. Pretty wild. That is good lord. Do you think he has intelligence on their relationship? Because, I mean, that is a good relationship to disrupt. Exactly. Well, I mean, I think that's what, you know, there are times where he says stuff where I'm like, fuck, how, how could they even have enough intelligence to dive that deep to know these things? But that's one where I feel like, if you had even the most rudimentary grasp of what, of how they've organized their government, of like, okay, who's left? Okay, they have one battle star, and this one was the president. And who's the commander of the battle star? This guy. Okay, that's who we need to fuck with. And we he knows to, the man. He's met Adama. He has. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing that did, I don't know, <laughs> it did make me worry because I remember right, right when we watched that first episode, or maybe it was, I guess, it was the second where it actually happened, where Adama fights him and kills him. You know, when I look back, I'm like. Fuck, this guy snapped a chain around his wrist, mm-hmm. <laughs> threw a metal table across the room, and slammed her against the door easily. Right. And Adama was able to fucking pound his head in with a flashlight. Well, remember, that, he was affected, you might not remember, by well, the radiation. He was right. really weakened. But yeah, you're right. I think, and, and even then, I think Adama barely was able to. Yeah, he was get strong. Down. He was, he was still, still strong, even in a weakened state. But I mean. But it made I think, me wonder. I was like, oh, fuck, does that, does that mean he's got Cylon strength? Oh, no. Yeah, you never know. There's definitely no match for them physically. Hell no. Yeah. But this shakes Roslyn up heavily. Oh, yeah. I mean, a great reaction on her face as she backs towards the Marines. I love that shot. Starbuck re-enters the frame. No bomb goes off. And then the president just orders him out the fucking airlock. Right out the airlock. Which wow. Is- I did not see that coming. No, me neither. It was fantastic. And the, the visual being exactly the same as it was in her dream is fucking great. Awesome. And Kara's saying, you can't do that. And the president says, you have lost your perspective. He's caused our fleet to spread out. We're defenseless or, or, or we're harder to defend. He's put ideas into your mind. He has created fear. He is a machine, and you do not keep machines around that kill and threaten people. Yeah. Oh, she just levels great. with her. I fucking love it. I love that those words come out of Rosalind's mouth. What do you think that says about future diplomacy? <laughs> I think as far as diplomatic interactions between Cylons, that I shit mean, ain't is gonna there exist. Even any? Yeah, okay, yeah, like that's <laughs> that that just. What do you got mean they destroyed thirteen the planets? <laughs> they destroyed a dozen planets. There's no diplomacy in our future. Oh Jesus! I mean, damn. 
Wow. And also, I mean, we haven't even talked about the, the fact that her dream – is her dream an omen, a, a crazy dream mm. she dreamed? Or was that shit somehow implanted into her mind by Cylons? Like, mm. do they have that kind of manipulative power? Mm. Or is she a fucking Cylon having Cylon dreams? Jesus mm. Christ. I don't know, man. Uh, There's plenty to talk about there. So uh, he does put her, he does, she does put him out the airlock. I like the moment with Kara's hand on the glass. What do you think about this connection here? I, yeah, this I did not quite expect, but it feels to me more like remorse for her own actions. Like she feels disgusted with herself here. And like, and with now what she part can't. of herself? Her, I, I, I guess, will to violence, her blind, you know, march towards it where and it got her nothing she also says a prayer formula doesn't she yes a little private i prayer. don't know if he had a soul or not but if he did take care of it she asks yeah uh and do you think i'm gonna ask you this would kara have done this if not for his last words there at the airlock about her saying go easy on her um do you think she still has this kind of moment after all their interrogation i think that starbuck has some faith I think that he shook her up, and yeah. I think that even though he led her along, the fleet was never in any real danger, and yeah. I think he got to Starbuck. Yeah. I think he did. I don't think it was just the fact that he said, go easy on her. I don't even know if she heard that, but that could be silent manipulation, too. I mean, all of it could be if he thought she could hear, but I think going back and talking about her past, about her mother, I guess, is it possible that that is on, on Starbuck's personnel file somewhere, and it was gained by way of hacking? And Maybe. That's what the I was wondering that, do. too. Is it possible that they have personnel files on these people? Yeah. And and that's what what begs the entire question is, is, is everything he said bullshit? Is it possible that he knows about the plan because of Cylon treachery, that he knows about Cobalt and Earth, and he's just feeding it back to them to give them some kind of hope to, to mislead them? Yeah. Is it possible that Leoben didn't say one single truth this evening in this episode? That's a awesome thing to think about well i think it's impossible that what whatever he well, said to Kara about his about her life is is got to be real there's right. no way because she reacts reaction. the way she does sure if that stuff's not real and i think the reason she has that moment later with him is because i it's both real and i doubt anyone else has ever talked to her about it before anyone yeah. you know this is this is the first human-like face that has said those words are about her mother and even gone, you know, not just revealed it all, not just spat it at her, but had said, you don't need to feel that way. You're putting yeah. it on yourself. I think it's another important thing to note that Kara does tell Rosalind, you know, he's not afraid to die, just that his soul will not make it to God. So yeah. she believes, based on the fact that she told Rosalind that, that he believes in God. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point. I'm glad you said that because that's... That's acknowledging that prayer, he has right? his faith. He really does have faith in. Right. It's not a machine's concept of faith. It's his actual faith. It's likely Rosalind doesn't believe him, but but Kara certainly does. Kara does. Oh yeah. Mm. And we, like I said, she's one of the only characters we've seen show any type of affinity with faith. So, is it possible that he was manipulating her that way? Mm. Is it all bullshit? I mean, could, we know now we that know, could be. Yeah. Who it's knows? Tough to say. So he puts her hand on the glass and uh, gets sucked out. And then she says her prayer, which you mentioned. And then later we see Adama and Roslyn talking. Adama says, uh, asks her about the risk. She's, you know, right? Yeah. He yeah. says something about that. That's right. And it ends with her looking at Adama, where he's doing nothing suspicious at all. 
sipping some water, and she just can't even quite look at him the same. What's fascinating about this is the fact that regardless of how much time Kara spent with him, we see that the very brief moment that Laoban spent with Rosalind has already affected her in that final scene. Treachery has already started. The suspicion. And she is a smart enough, aware enough person to, I I think, it's not like that's going to affect her and she's not going to even understand it's affecting her. I think she's both, she's dually aware of, I'm this this has affected me and made me suspicious, but I understand that he is trying to make me suspicious and I got to look out for it. I think she's aware in that way, but it is definitely already gnawing at her. Right. Awesome. Ugh, we close out the scene. Damn. Conclusion. Boy, conclusion. Well, that's the end of the episode. We are going to wrap with our final thoughts. But before we do that, Matthew. Boy, oh boy. Let us talk about next week's episode tie me up tie me down so here are some trivia questions for you my good man we're going to do true or false again because it's just easier (laughs) i'm ready number one tom zarek returns and begins to gain support with the people by way of illegally broadcasting to the fleet true or false i was just thinking in this episode of like boy when's tom zarek gonna show up again (laughs) damn so i love that idea I'm going to say true. All right. Question two. Rosalind secretly orders Baltar to test Commander Adama because she suspects that he is a Cylon agent. You know, I still think that she doesn't believe he's an agent, but I do do think she would have him tested at least. So true. Boom. Three, Commander Adama orders the termination of the Cylon Detection Project when he learns about Baltar's plan to usurp Rosalind's presidency. What? Huh, that hasn't happened yet. Want me to read it again? Commander Adama orders the termination of the Cylon Detection Project when he learns about Baltar's plan to usurp Rosalind's presidency. Whoa. Um, I'm going to say false. All right, four. Colonel Ty makes a rash tactical decision that costs the lives of two pilots. Oof. Oof. Let me read it again. Yeah. Colonel Ty makes a rash tactical decision that costs the lives of two pilots. Damn. False. False. And finally, someone from Ty's past returns and he starts to drink again. <laughs> you know, it's funny because there's not much to drink left. <laughs> but true. I like it. Awesome. All right, brother. So there are your answers. Uh, that was, uh, you've, you've answered uh, true, true, false, false, true. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how well you did. I already know how well you did. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to talking about it next week when we discuss tie me up, tie me down. Matthew. I'm, I'm expecting a lot of six in that episode from the title. This was a long one, buddy. This is. And I'm happy about it. And I want to wrap with some final thoughts. So Boy. let me ask you something. Sure. What do you think about this thing between Laoban and Starbuck? I really want to hear your thoughts on that more than anything. Well, I know I'm that's still, kind of a broad question. Yeah. I guess I'm, specifically what I'm looking for is, is how much do you think this had a lasting impression on her? Do you think that Laoban will attempt to, or other Laoban, since this got jolted into space, <laughs> will attempt to reach back out to her? What do you suppose... What do you suppose the angle was here for Laoban? I, you know, I had a hard time figuring out how I felt 
about him and about the situation in the you know, early parts of the episode. By the end, I do think, for one, we're going to be seeing him again specifically and specifically trying to interact with Starbuck for sure. That is the, something is going on there. There wouldn't be so much singular focus on her and, and all of this talk of about, you know, I knew it would be you. I knew you'd be here. I knew you would do it this way. And I know it's not going to work. You know, it's so focused on her. It's, he almost has no other concern. You know, he never talks about sabotage. He never talks about a wider mission. It is 100% about her and her faith and her humanity. Um, so there's something there. They have some, the Cylon, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the overall Cylon plot or conspiracy has a, some very high up specific purpose for her in mind. And I think he's a big part of making that happen. Um, so that's definitely there. So this week we've seen, so this, thus far through the series, who have seen the following. We've seen six manipulate Gaius Baltar. We've seen Leoben manipulate Starbuck. We've seen Boomer at least interact with Chief. Not anymore. He cut that off. Is yeah. it possible that that was manipulation? And now we're seeing Boomer manipulating Hilo on Caprica. We're seeing these very specific individuals being targeted for something. For something. Yeah, we, we th- see them getting manipulated, but we don't know for what. Do you think that Leoben came by... Let me ask you this. Do you think Leoben came to his information about Starbucks past by way of some sort of information out there on the Battlestar Galactic version of the internet? And do you think all of his other shit was simple treachery to try to cause doubt with her or maybe to make her sympathetic to the Cylons? What do you think about all that? Oh, that's the hardest question because, well, to be honest, in my mind, it's essentially either that or Starbucks a Cylon. Like, I can't really imagine another scenario. How else could they gather that level of information other than having invented it and planted it in her? So I don't know. I'm very well, hesitant to say that. No, obviously it's not that because you, in my mind, it means. If you listen to him literally, he says all of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. So, Which, you know, as we talked, as we were discussing, you know, I, I didn't get to mention it yet, but as we were talking about this episode and that scene in particular – it made me wonder if this was going to be some dark city shit and it's like a big gigantic simulation on the Cylons uh, part and they're fucking manipulating everything like with their puppet strings. Simulation theory. And so this is literally, yeah, it's happened before because we're running you all through a fucking source code Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> test. <laughs> awesome. I, I like it. Yeah, a lot of stuff to think about, man. And that's that's what I love about this episode. And one of the most overlooked things in this episode, one of the things we didn't talk much about at all, we just said, I don't know, was <laughs> Roslyn dreaming the exact death of a man that she was going to meet the next day. It's crazy. It's crazy. <sighs> Cylon manipulation, Kamala extract. <laughs> just the, Oh, man, just that in the desert with Jim Morrison, Kamala tripping. Well, it's like the spice, you know, the spice melange and how some people say the guild navigators can see space and sometimes see the future. And, you know, that's that's kind of a thing with Dune. And sometimes I wonder, is the Kamala extract responsible for that? Is it uh, total coincidence is I mean, it's it's tough to say. I mean, the way what it reminded me of is the way six gives visions and interacts with Gaius. Like it makes me think. 
does Leoben now have some kind of mind tether with uh, Roz on the way Six does with him? I mean, that's what it made it's me possible. think. It's it, possible. It definitely looks a little different because she literally wakes up from a dream. Whereas yeah. guys just oh, like realizes, holy shit, I'm, I'm, it's like... Well, I think Six is being a lot more explicit about it. Whereas maybe Leoben, they're not, they're not willing to let that be known to her yet. That, that I am fucking with you and I am on top of you and I'm in your brain... You know, that they're they're just making it feel like a dream to her still. Pretty good shit. Maybe. Lots more coming. And, uh, man, I think we're only got four eps net left, and we're done with season one, which is awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We've got uh, Tommy Up, Tommy Down. Then, uh, then I think there's only a few more after that. Maybe f- I think there's four more after oh, tonight's. Chugging along over here. Uh, or maybe there's a couple more than that. I don't remember. But, yeah, I'm excited about it, man. I'm looking forward to talking about more of this. And uh, I think we're going to call it a night. I think we have talked a lot about Flesh and Bone. It was good to get back to it. We're going to be doing next week, Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Going to be a good time to talk about that one. And uh, Matthew, do you have anything you want to say to these good people before we uh, take off? No, no, I am tapped. Just guard your minds. Guard your fucking dreams from American Daniel Craig. (laughs) 